0: Well, hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Been a while since I uh, went Facebook Live on our Directional Ministries channel, but figured I'd do it today. Uh, bear in mind that uh, I am recording these. They are going up on SoundCloud, Apple Podcast. Um, also, the text is being placed on the website at DwayneSpearman.org. And then on YouTube and um, Rumble, so plenty of places to find it. I have been doing a topical study. Been taking a little bit of a break after I finished the Book of Acts. A little drained. Forty weeks straight. <laughs> Every morning, six thirty a.m. teaching through the Book of Acts, and then I'm also I'm sidelining into the Book of Daniel. Uh, I'm also working on a study on Romans chapter number eleven big study for me um, just making sure that um, given the right interpretation as I see it um, I've listened to many and it's amazing how many people have different views of Romans chapter number 11 and of course it's a pretty pivotal chapter pivotal chapter uh, in the book of Romans uh, because it talks about the branches and the tree and The Gentiles and things like that. So I just want to make sure I get that right. So um, got those going on on the side. The Daniel study, the Romans eleven study, uh, and then I've been doing this topical study on the breath of God. Now, what we've been using uh, as our text is Hebrews chapter four, verse number twelve. For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than two edged sword, piercing even through the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And this will be the third session. The first time in our introduction we talked about how the Word of God is central to the whole of the Christian faith. Um, Matter of fact, the entirety of our faith rests upon it. Everything that we know about the, the living Word, Jesus, we find in the written Word, the Bible. Uh, so, everything, I mean, the entirety of our faith rests upon it, and in order to adequately understand this subject, we have to deal with the issues of revelation, uh, inspiration, how it was transmitted, and then looking at proofs of inf- inspiration, such as fulfilled prophecy, scientific accuracy, historical accuracy, transformed lives, and then ultimately get into the inerrancy of the scripture, and ultimately how it was canonized. So uh, that's what we've been talking about. The first uh, issue that we dealt with was revelation, which is the disclosing of information that could not have been otherwise known. And when it comes to the scripture, we're, de- we're dealing with two types of revelation. We're dealing with with general revelation and special revelation. General revelation, as we said, is God's disclosure of himself in nature. Um, And, of course, we can see God through nature, we can see God through our conscience, we can see God through history. Um, And, uh, of course, uh, Paul concludes this in Romans 1.20 120 when he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible uh, qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, Uh, so that men are without an excuse. So it is that natural knowledge of God that is the basis for divine judgment. But as we mentioned, ultimately general revelation is not enough. Um, While it does point to God, our conscience points to God, history points to the fact that there's a God, nature points to the fact that there's a God, it's insufficient to reveal the totality of God uh, and God's ultimate plan for man. Uh, in each of us. So that's special revelation. Special revelation is when God reveals himself directly in a personal way. Um, and again, um, the uh, Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Uh, the natural, unregenerated, unreconciled man does not receive the things of God. Why? Because they're foolishness to him. They don't make any sense. They Neither can he even know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. They're unable to know these things. But to the spiritual man, he sees this special revelation. Um, so then we led into uh, inspiration. Now, inspiration... Um, Obviously, you can have revelation without it necessarily resulting in an inspiration. Uh, But you cannot have an inspiration without first having received a revelation. So the word inspire, you know, in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Um, That uh, word inspire there uh, literally means God breathed. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 there, if we look in the KJV+, plus, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Notice that, divinely breathed in. Uh, that's what the word means. So when we say that the Bible is inspired, obviously we mean that it, it is God-breathed. It is the breath of God, thus the title uh, of this message. Uh, so, this inspiration, again, cannot be confused with that of an artist or a musician. When I play my guitar behind me or my violin behind me, um, that's not the same type of inspiration that we're dealing with. Instead, we're dealing with something that is a unique event in which God speaks words to man. Uh, Peter said in, uh, in uh, you remember we talked about in second in 2 Peter, Um, Let me get out of the KJV Plus there in Second Peter one sixteen, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables, mythos, myths, fiction, when we made known in you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his Majesty. Why? Because for he received from God the Father honor and glory. And there came such a voice to him from his excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So Peter is referring to that event that we call the transfiguration when he, James, and John were on the mount and they saw the Lord come down with Moses and Elijah. Um, And he's saying we were eyewitnesses to this event and this voice came down from heaven, and we heard him, and we were with him on the holy mount when it happened. And then he, he takes a turn and says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye that you would do well, that you take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rising rises in our hearts. In other words, we have something that's even more sure than an eyewitness account, and that is the word of prophecy. That is the word of God. That is even more so proof than our eyewitness account. And ultimately, everything has to be, what does the Bible say? You know, Les Feldick. I love Les Feldick. Um, He always goes back to, well, what does the Bible say about that? And we would do well to do that as well. I mean, we... We live in a world where we want to argue from emotionalism. We want to have um, the left is very guilty of misplaced compassion. Um, and there's, there's a lot of reason for that that I don't want to get into. I don't want this to turn into a political podcast, but um, um, we can get into all that. But ultimately, we need to come down to, well, what does the Bible say? You know, what does the Bible say about that issue? What does the Bible say about that situation? Um, so the context of what Peter is saying here is, even though we were with him, we saw him transfigured before our very eyes. Their testimony was not to be compared with the testimony of the Bible in itself. Um, in other words, the Bible, by its own claim to inspiration, is always the superior witness. Well, I feel, you know, when 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 any Christian starts with, I feel, uh, or in my heart, I believe, you know, I mean, bear in mind, we talked about this. It might have been Daniel. I can't remember what study it was. But when we get off into the senses, look, touch, taste, smell, and hearing, we're getting into the flesh. And too many churches today specialize in the flesh. They set the atmosphere for God. They lower the lights, they light the candles, they get the mood music. In other words, they're stimulating the senses so that they can have an experience with God. Bear in mind, when you get off into the senses, you're getting off into the flesh. Now, God gave us our senses, and I'm not knocking that, but we cannot rely on our senses. Um, Matter of fact, uh, I think it was James... Uh he used the word sensual uh, in James three five he says this wisdom um, descendeth not from above, but it is earthly, it is sensual, it is devilish. And of course in the context there uh, he's talking about um, let's see, I'm turning off my phone there. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if ye have bitter, envying, and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Why? Because this wisdom comes not from above, but it's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish, and it's where envying and strife and there's confusion in every good work. So we're not to rely on our senses. Uh, The God of this world is the devil, (laughs) okay? We can't rely on our senses. Um, The Bible has to be the superior witness. It doesn't matter. The left loves to argue from the exceptions. Um, You take the whole abortion issue, for example. Well, what about rape? It's a tragic thing. But what percentage of abortions are the result of rape or incest? It's, it's like less than 1%. So what about the other 99%? They're killing a baby out of convenience. That they couldn't take precautions. They committed fornication, a fornication act or an adulterous act. Um, you know, I mean, the best way not to have a baby is... Called abstinence. It's called don't do it. You know, that's the best way to have a baby. You know, and and if you're going to do it, you got to take precautions for doing it. So, again, the left argues from the point of the exception every time. You know, give me the issue. They're going to argue from the point of the exception every time. Um, So, the Bible has to be the final say in all matters of faith and practice. So, whatever you do, whatever you believe, it needs to come back to the Scriptures. Period. Um, now, notice the views of inspiration. Now, there are several views of inspiration, and bear in mind, I tell students all the time, you have to define terms when you are going to talk. You know, when when people go into a debate stage, the first thing they do is start to define terms. So they're arguing from the same point of view. So when we mention the word inspired, what does that mean? Well, it can mean one thing to one person and something totally different to another person. Uh, Some see inspiration, uh, which is a natural view, and it denies any supernatural element in the process. Uh, So those who hold this view just see the Bible as a great work of art. It's on the level of Shakespeare or any other great artists. In other words, there, it's just a, a natural view. There's no spiritual element to it. Um, that's the way they see inspiration, just like we talked about my guitar and my violin and music and an artist. That's their definition of inspiration. Well, that's not the biblical definition. Others see it as partial inspiration. In other words, they believe that while not all of these scriptures are inspired, some of them are. Well, the question is, since <laughs> you know so much, which parts are and which parts aren't. Normally, that's decided on which parts you like and which parts you don't like. You know, So when Paul talks about this, he's just a male chauvinist pig that's trying to put down women. Um, let me tell you something. Christianity has done more for women than any religion in the history of the world, period. Uh, but see, the way these people see it is, it's only uh, only some parts are inspired; the rest isn't. And of course, the rest that isn't is the parts they don't like. Uh, and then, third view is what is called conceptual inspiration. Um, in this view, it's not necessarily the words that are inspired, but it's the concept behind the words. It's it's the overall message. So don't get bogged down in the details, you know, in, uh, los detalles, as the Spanish say. Uh, it's just the overall concept of the scripture is inspired, that God wants us to love each other, and God wants us to to get along. And so when, when they use the word inspired, and when they say, well, yeah, I believe the Bible is inspired, that's where they're coming from. Um, And then a fourth view is that what some would call encounter inspiration. In other words, the Bible becomes inspired to each individual reader as they encounter their truth. Uh, So (laughs) it it becomes inspired. It's encounter uh, inspiration. And then finally, there's the correct view. Of inspiration, um, which is the plenary verbal inspiration. In this view, not only the message of the Bible is inspired, but the very words of the message are inspired. That is what we believe when we talk about inspired. Um, we believe in plenary verbal inspiration. The word plenary means we believe all of it's inspired, not just the concepts, not just what you take away from it. We believe that, that plenary means all of it, every bit of it, even the parts you don't understand, even the parts you disagree with, it's inspired. And we believe in verbal inspiration. So not only believe all of it's inspired, but we believe that the words are inspired. In other words, not just the thought, not just the message, but the words themselves are inspired. They are placed there for a reason. The Jews say when the Messiah comes, he will not only tell us what the words mean, but he'll tell us what the spaces between the words mean. Uh, So verbal means words or by means of words or word for word. So we believe in plenary verbal inspiration, which means all the words are God-breathed. That's what we believe. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Now, the New American Standard translates jot or tittle as letter or stroke. But they're saying the same thing. Um One just says jot or tittle, while the other says letter or stroke. The word for a jot or a letter refers to the uh, smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The smallest letter, while the tittle or the stroke refers to the small appendage on that letter that differentiates it from similar letters. It'd be the equivalent of the dotting of the I or the crossing of the T for you and me. So, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, To heaven and earth pass away, One jot or one tittle Shall nowise wise pass from the law Until it's all fulfilled. Jesus took it all the way down To the words uh, in the Bible. Um, now, some would argue That plenary verbal inspiration Requires dictation, Much like a secretary. I had a secretary years ago That wrote in shorthand, And she could literally sit in front of me, and I could, I guess, court recorders now type in shorthand. Uh, But she was trained in the art of dictation. I could talk just like I'm talking right now. And through shorthand, she could just write it down and then go back to her desk and type it out exactly what I said. Um, Now, so some people will say plenary verbal inspiration requires dictation. Well, yes and no. You know, uh, Grudem, Grudem observes that even though the words in the Bible are indeed God's words, and they are, we are talking more about the result than the actual words. In other words, inspiration, obviously when you read Matthew's style of writing, you know, in Luke's style of writing, Luke was a physician, so you see a lot of attention to detail when you read Luke and when you read the Book of Acts, because he wrote them. Um, it's one of the biggest arguments for Paul not writing the Book of Hebrews. It's just the style is obviously different. In other words, inspiration allowed for a variety of processes to bring about the desired result. In other words, God made sure he superintended it to where the desired results took place. Now, that is not to say that there's not dictation in the Bible. There is. You know, when the Bible says in Revelation 2, 1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith he that holds the stars in his sevens' hands. Well, I mean, he obviously said, I want you to write this. But you do see John's personality come out as it did in his gospel, as it did in his three epistles, and as it did in the book of Revelation. So it's obvious from the text at that point that John was told emphatically exactly what to write. However, most of the Bible displays evidence, again, that God allowed human personalities and the individual writing styles of each writer under the oversight of God himself and the Holy Spirit uh, he, he directed each of them to write exactly what he wanted them to write. In other words, he made sure that the results were what he wanted. So when we say um, we believe in inspiration, we believe that all of the words are God-breathed. Next time we get together, we'll talk about some proofs of inspiration. God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day. Remember, God loves you and wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for your good.